Radio. Why Mary Matters. A talk by Paul Ellard at the Immaculata Mission School 2014, held at the Sacred Heart Retreat Centre in Croydon, Melbourne. It's lovely to be here. Um, I've had the privilege of being involved with every mission school since 2008, except last year. So as I look around, I see a lot of new faces, which is good. It's wonderful. Oh, got some water. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Save me running back there. Um, Just before we start, um, I am going to saturate you with information tonight to the point of overload, right? (laughs) So don't try and take everything down. If you want the notes, I'm happy to email them. So you just put your email address there later, nice and clear, and I'll email it to you. If you want to write things down, write down what I call aha moments, you know, where you go, ah, because that's the Holy Spirit prompting you and speaking to you, so you might want to take a note so you can reflect on that later. There are three great gifts that Jesus left his church. And in spite many attacks from the enemy, they still survive today. And they have become pillars of the church. One is the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. We heard Father Simon talked so beautifully about that this morning and the importance of that. And you could see how important that was in his own priesthood. It was beautiful. The second is Mary. And the third is the Pope. They are three great treasures, often misunderstood, often attacked, but nevertheless incredible treasures in our church. So I would encourage you in this time to... Come familiar with those three pillars. Tonight, I'd like to challenge you to open your heart to Mary. For some of you, this may be new. The beautiful line in Scripture, If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And I can tell you, I can promise you, the Holy Spirit will be touching your heart tonight to try and make you come to know and love his spouse, Mary, spouse of the Holy Spirit. So my prayer today and tonight is that you will not just come to know Our Lady, but you'll fall in love with her. Now, as I look around, as I said, I see some familiar faces. I know some people have heard this talk many times because I've done it in various shapes and forms and variations. But a lot of what we're going to be looking at is from Scripture. And you know what it's like with Scripture. You read it one day, three months later you read it again, and you read it again, and then one day you pick it up and the words jump out. Oh my goodness. And it's like you'd never read it before. That's the Holy Spirit speaking those same words. What's changed is you. Your life has changed. So those words now speak to you differently. So for those people who have heard this before, can I ask you to really... Be extra open in a way, because it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I know all that. But allow the Holy Spirit to maybe touch something inside of you that he'd like you to become aware of. Can I put it to you that if Mary is not in your spirituality, something really important is missing? Oh, okay. I'll just put this in before we... <laughs> It's commercial time. 
I don't know if you know, but you are blessed to have two people who, Sarah up the back there, who's um, the manager of Cradio. Cradio is Catholic Radio Online. And um, uh, where is he? He's not here. Luke, Luke's not here? Yeah. Anyway, Luke also. So can I suggest to you that this is a wonderful resource started by Archbishop Julian Porteous. We've been going, what is it, two years? More than two years now, it seems. Three, about three years. And last October, we reached the 10,000 downloads per month. In one month, we now get 10,000 downloads. This is happening now regularly each month. So it's become a wonderful resource. And um, I've got a program on there, or I did have a program on there. We did 33 programs called Our Queen, Our Mother. And everything that we do gets filed into the Cradio library. It's a massive library. You name the topic, it's there. So I encourage you to go search for things and download. What I'm going to present tonight is, is on there. A fuller version goes across about five talks. So um, if you want to hear the full version. But there's lots of um, good things there. So I encourage you to cradio.org. .au. .au, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. .au. Okay. There, there it is. There it is. I've written it there. All right. Okay, Don Bosco was a, is a famous Italian saint. I'm sure many of you know him. He was famous for his um, mystical visions. A famous vision he had over 100 years ago was a, a time where he saw that the church was in crisis and the church was represented by this big boat. So in his vision, he saw like an ocean and all these boats in the ocean and the big one represented the Catholic church. And the big boat was getting persecuted. You see cannons here and you see people with their books trying to reason why the church is wrong. All these things. <clears throat> and a storm broke out, a huge storm. And the waves became really rough and boats start to capsize. A lot of the little ones start to go under very quickly. And in the end, even the big boat was in danger of being capsized. And so... Don Bosco saw a man in white, representing the Pope, move to the front of the boat. He looked in the distance and he saw two pillars coming up out of the sea. The tallest one had the Jesus, the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, and the shorter one had Mary. So he anchored, he ordered that the boat be anchored between these two pillars. You see the chains. And of course the storm got really bad and everybody got wiped out except this big boat. In fact, a lot of the smaller boats came on board and were saved by the big boat. Now, there's no doubt about it. We're living in a time of great crisis, and there's no doubt about it. We've had a number of popes, particularly John Paul, and certainly Francis is certainly following this tradition, and of course Benedict, anchoring the church between these great truths. And that's why they're so important, and the Pope himself. So these are important times in which we live, and we need to understand that in order to get through these turbulent waters, we need to have a good understanding of what these gifts that God has given us. <clears throat> John Paul, of course, you remember, he's going to be canonized this year. The beautiful emblem with the blue and the M for Mary. And his motto was totus to us. If you see old film clips, you'll see people waving up banners, totus to us. 
What it means is completely yours, Mary. He consecrated his priesthood to Mary. So this was the way he expressed it. You remember the children of Fatima. Some of you may or may not know this story, but Our Lady appeared to three young children in 1917. We don't have time to go into it all, but the punchline is Our Lady talked about that if the world didn't change, it'd be great destruction that, that mankind would bring upon himself. But she said, nations will be annihilated, but in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. There are going to be tough times. There are going to be battles. But in the end, we know who the winner is. The question is, do you want to be in the winner's circle or do you want to be on the loser's circle? We know the outcome. It seems obvious, but a lot of people don't choose the right side. You remember John Paul? He was attacked, nearly, was, nearly died. He should have died. But um, he said, Mary's hand guided the bullet. And they reckon the bullet kind of went like that around his spine. I can't quite understand why he was alive, but he lived miraculously. And he attributed his life to Mary. And the bullet that they took out of the car, he placed in the crown of the statue of Our Lady of Fatima. It's still there this day. Anyone know what that is? European flag, the Euro flag. You know, I don't know if you've been watching this, but there's been lots of discussion about having a constitution for Europe. And the popes have been saying, Christianity needs to be in there. Christianity has been the foundation for Europe. But a lot of people have been trying to suppress it. But I had to chuckle when I heard this story. The, the man who designed the Euro flag had a great love for Mary. So he took blue as the background. And then the 12 stars, the 12 crowned around her head. So uh, they're trying to suppress every thought of Christianity, but Mary's still having the last laugh there. <laughs> okay, so let's get a few basic key points that we have to hang on to. Ultimately, when we talk about the gifts that God gives through Mary, we're going to look at them sort of intellectually a bit. But as I said, they've got to move from the head to the heart because we're talking about mothers. You don't intellectualize your mother. You love your mother, right? It's a heart thing. Mary lives to honor and glorify the Trinity and to bring all of us to honor and glorify the Trinity. We don't worship Mary. Mary leads us to Jesus. We honor Mary. Once we get to the point that we realize God is creator and Mary is creature, and there's a huge gap between those two. She might be the greatest creature. She is the greatest creature. But once we get that understanding, God is the, the creator, Mary is the creature, then it's not possible to honor her too much. It's like saying, oh, I don't want to be too healthy. It's, it's, it's a silly statement, right? Mary leads us to Jesus. Some people think that Mary is a distraction. I've heard people say, oh, I don't pray to Mary. I go straight to Jesus, like as though it was some shortcut. <laughs> the funny thing is, the shortcut to Jesus is through Mary. And if you have a devotion to Mary, if you don't believe me, don't take my word for it, try it for yourself. Pray to her. 
Give her a little friendly challenge. She'll happily step up to the mark and she'll show you the power of her prayer and the love that she has for you. She does this because she's your mother. She's your heavenly mother. And so, you know, if you find yourself saying, well, I think I've got a problem with Mary, you've got to be honest. You don't really have a problem with Mary. You have a problem with Jesus. You don't understand who Jesus is. If we truly understand who Jesus is, we'll understand the importance of his mother. I've got a list here, top ten list of statements of teachings of the church about Mary. Okay, So I'm not making these up. These are teachings of the church. And they're designed to really challenge you. Okay, so don't be afraid if you, ooh, do we believe that? That's what we're trying to do here, okay? Not in any order. Number one, next to Jesus, the greatest human person in creation is a woman. Did you realize that? Sorry, gentlemen, we have to take the back seat. We've been telling ourselves man is dominant for all these years. The spiritual truth is, no, it's the other way around. Number two, Mary exists to help bring about God's plan of salvation for all humanity. That's her purpose. Mary is without sin whatsoever, neither venial nor mortal. I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. This is church teaching. Number four, once we acknowledge God as creator and Mary as creature, We cannot honour Mary too much. We covered that point a second ago. Number five, true devotion to Mary can only lead us to Jesus. It can't take you anywhere else. It's just not possible. It's just not possible. Six, Mary has this unique relationship with the Trinity. She's daughter of the Father. She's mother of the Son, which we all know. But did you realize she's also spouse of the Holy Spirit? St. Francis of Assisi was the first person to use that term, spouse of the Holy Spirit. Why do we say that? Because Scripture says the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she became pregnant with baby Jesus. How beautiful is that? Being impregnated by the Holy Spirit. That should just blow a few of our brain cells when we meditate on these things. Number seven, even at Mary's conception, she had a much higher degree of grace than any angel or saint that ever existed. I mean, that just got a whoa. It's huge, huge. Again, I'm not making this up. This is church teaching. Number eight, Mary already has a glorified, resurrected body. In fact, she lives now in heaven with both body and soul. So two people in heaven with bodies and souls, Jesus and Mary. And one day, hopefully, all of us. And did you know that you'll be resurrected as male or female for all eternity? That's why sexuality is important. It's a different talk. Theology of the body, we won't won't go into it. (laughs) Just, Just to throw it out there. Because Mary is the epicenter of the theology of the body. Is there a talk on theology of the body, Mother? Hey, okay. I won't preempt their talk. Okay, number nine. Jesus wants us to pray to him through Mary. 
Some people think Jesus is going, oh, all right, if you want to have this thing, I'll tolerate. No, he wants it this way. He's been sending his mother to apparitions the last 150 years to tell us this is what he wants. This is the way. Well, now, this is not really a church teaching. It's more of a, an insight. But we are living today in a special age of Mary. How did we come to that conclusion? Well, as I just said, in the last 150 years, we've had more Marian apparitions than you can imagine. Now, some of them are not all authentic. The enemy loves to get in and throw both in there. Why is she coming? She's not bored. She's not saying, oh, I'm a bit bored in heaven. I think I'll go back to earth for a while. She's coming because she's our mother. What do mothers do when they see their kids playing in the traffic? They have to come and tell them, you can't play in the traffic. It's dangerous. And they, she might even have to be a bit firm with us. But she comes to correct us and to give us hope. Very important. All genuine apparitions must give us this hope. That's what mothers do. They give us hope, inspire us. It's important to note that every gift that Mary has, everything that Mary has been given, is derived upon her unique relationship with Jesus and dependent upon that relationship. So it's all based upon Jesus, subordinate to and dependent upon Jesus, her son. She's mother and servant of the heart of Jesus. She's so united with him as servant that she knows what he wants even before he asks it. Married couples are like that. Isn't that right, Sarah? <laughs> Newly married, huh? You know what your partner wants. You walk in the room and look at him and you go, ah, oh, I know what they're thinking. Right? Well, Mary's like that with Jesus. You know, she knows what he wants. What's the fourth commandment? Honour your father and your mother. Guess what? Nobody lives the fourth commandment better than Jesus. He honours his father and his mother. And what are we called to do? We're called to imitate Jesus. Are we doing that? The book of Ecclesiastes says, He who honours his mother is like someone amassing a fortune. It's in one of the readings just before Christmas. Well, if that's the case for someone who honours their earthly mother, imagine the graces of someone who honours their heavenly mother. Huge. And Mary, because of her unique relationship, she can't reflect herself. She can only reflect God. Father Joseph Kentonick, some of you may have heard that name. He's the founder of Schoenstatt Movement. He says this beautiful insight. He says, in the natural order, a child loves his mother first. And then the father, right? When baby comes out of the womb, they don't, the nurses don't pick it up and say, hey, dad. <laughs> Sorry, dad has to wait. It goes straight to mum, right? It's the natural order of things. The mother nurtures the child, breastfeeds it. Just, it's just that link between mother and child is so powerful. Well, if that's what we see in the natural order, then we should expect the supernatural order to be very similar. Mary leads us to Jesus. She teaches us to love the Father. 
Devotion to Mary is not new. How do we know that? Well, the earliest recorded prayer we have to Mary is found in the catacombs, and it was written in 250 AD. So even then, and that's before the, the scriptures were canonized and all of that, even in those early days, we see the apostles having devotion to Mary. Okay, let's get into it now. If you're sitting there and thinking, well, yeah, I don't know. I have a couple of Protestant mates, and um, they say to me, the reason they have a problem with Mary is that somehow it detracts from the glory of God. Right? They're not anti-Catholic, or some people might be, but they're not basically anti-Catholic. In all sincerity, they really believe that if somehow they're having devotion to Mary, that they're somehow betraying God or something. We want to open that up because that on the surface appears to be a logical argument. We need to be able to demonstrate that it's not the way God thinks. Why do some people feel reluctant to have a strong devotion to Mary? They somehow feel that devotion to Mary detracts from the glory of God. Let's go into it. Did God create the world to get more glory? Anyone think yes? Why? God is complete. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything to make him complete. God didn't create the world to get more glory. God created the world to give glory. Whoa, again. Think like God thinks. That's why charity is the big call, right? Because God gives. And when God gives, he empowers others. Isn't that great? Like, you know, what is true fatherhood? True fatherhood loves to see their children do better than they did at university. They're not threatened by, their not doing, by them doing better. You know, this is what we, when God gives, he empowers. And you see that in um, even good management, good businessman, a good boss will empower his staff. And they just, they thrive for it. He's not threatened by it. And certainly God's not threatened by it. In his mother, Mary, Jesus has given her the most, empowered her the most by giving her every gift if you could give your mother every gift, would you give it to her? Did you ever realize this? Jesus is the only one who could create his mother. If you could create your mother, would you make her sinless? Would you give her all these things? You would, but it's an absurd proposition because it can't happen. It's not absurd with Jesus. <laughs> it's very real, and that's what he did. You see, all these things are very logical. If you sit down reason with them they make sense right but remember we've got to move from here to here so that's hopefully as we go through the talk that's what we're trying to do god's masterpiece in all creation is mary sinless the mystics say that the angels are in awe of mary and that's why she's queen of the angels Okay, this is a um, photograph I took in the Louvre Museum in France. I found out later, you're not supposed to take photos in the Louvre Museum. <laughs> but if you don't tell, then that's all right, okay? So I, I really like this photo. 
it, 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 really, it really captured me, right? Imagine, pick on somebody here, I'm going to pick on Thomas, right? Imagine if someone says to me, oh, Thomas painted this painting. I go, wow, look at this painting. Look at the depth and look at all these, all the little detail, the colors, the shadowing. This painting is incredible. What's Thomas going to say? Oh, thanks very much, Paul. Because he's the one who did it. But imagine if I said, no, 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 Thomas. I'm not complimenting you. I'm complimenting the painting. Well, I mean, it's just absurd. The more I start raving about that painting, the more I'm complimenting the person who created it. In this case, Thomas. So the more we extol the greatness of Mary, the more we extol the person who created her. You know, it's, it's simple. It makes sense. And more importantly than that, it's true. And it has huge implications for our spirituality. If our image of God is master-slave, we'll never understand Mary. We'll always see her as some kind of threat. But if our image of God is a loving father that he desires to love and empower his children, then we see Mary differently. I mention this because in Protestant circles, the great famous um, John Calvin, Protestant theologian, he says, you know, we're just snow-covered dung. That's all we are, we're snow-covered dung. Well, Catholic theology wouldn't agree with that. Catholic theology would say, yes, we're fallen, we're very fallen. But there's always some spark in us that through grace we can rise to great things. We're never just snow-covered dung. So why? Because we're children of God. Children of God, that's what we are. As John's Gospel says so beautifully. What makes Christianity different from every other religion in the world? Anyone want to suggest? The incarnation. God became man. You've got to understand that every other religion in the world says this is not possible. Even our Jewish tradition, our fathers of the faith, they kind of, oh, they, you know, the Messiah was going to be a great leader. It was going to be God. Well, we say God became man. We take it for granted. It should, again, it should just blow a few of our brain cells as we think about this. You know, I know this is a corny analogy, but when I was a kid, I used to have a little ant farm. You know, you'd watch the ants go in. Imagine if you said, I'm gonna, I love the ants so much, I'm going to become one. I'm going to go down and I'm going to go into the thing and into the garden and I'm going to become one. So you're crazy, you might get stepped on, you might get eaten by a lizard, you might, all sorts of things might get. <laughs> no, I know it's silly, but you. You know, when God becomes man, that's like billion, billion times more than us becoming an ant, right? It makes no sense for us. Well, you know, in some ways, it doesn't make sense for God to come down. But why? Because he loves us. That's, that's madness. That's the love of a madman. <laughs> but that's how much Jesus loves you. The sisters are always talking about that. Guess what? Jesus loves you. Because you've got to really, if you just go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I know that. You're in trouble, man. You haven't, you should be, oh, Jesus loves me. You know, like, 
It should, it should shake you. So, if the incarnation is the foundation of Christianity, without Mary's, yes, there is no baby Jesus. There is no Christmas. Imagine if the angel Gabriel come to Mary and she said, oh, no, look, it's a really busy time of the year. Or, no, no, look, not, not me. Uh, the girl next door, maybe. You know. No, she doesn't. And she doesn't just say, oh, okay. She says, yes, let it be done to me according to your word. And yes, it's going to involve a lot of suffering and it's not always going to be easy. But your love will triumph. Your love will carry me through. And in the end, just one minute of your love is worth a lifetime of suffering. Well, we're talking about eternal life, man. Whoa, eternal life. It was once said that this life is just a drop in the ocean of eternity. That gets it into perspective, doesn't it? Imagine if I had a lot of money and I went out and I said, I'm going to spend all my money tomorrow. It's all going to be gone at the end of tomorrow. You say, well, that's silly. What about the rest of your life? Well, you know, some people live like that. We've got whole of eternity. Are we just going to live for tomorrow and blow everything? Blow all the gifts that God's given us? Or are we going to aim for eternity? The stakes are huge. And I tell you, the older you get, the more you realize <laughs> that this day is coming. You know, and I, I've had many of my friends go who are young, very young. We don't know when we're going to be called home. It's not about fear. It's about facing reality and accepting the love that's offered to us. It's great saints like um, St. Louis de Montfort and St. Maximilian Colby. They've got these beautiful lines. I love this. Jesus came to us through Mary, so we returned the same way. How more logical could you get than that? I mean, <laughs> Jesus came to us through Mary, we returned the same way. I did a week's talk on uh, Mary. Every day we did talks on Mary. Got right to the end and one guy got up and said, that was the line that did it for him. <laughs> All my other stuff, <laughs> that was the simple line that for him, he was just walked away on fire for Mary. <clears throat> Max, Maximilian Colby also says this beautiful line. I like this. Never be afraid of loving the Virgin Mary too much. Why? Because you can never love her more than Jesus did. <laughs> if anyone does not wish to have the immaculate Mary immaculate for his mother, he will not have Christ for his brother. Seriously. If Mary's not in your spirituality, you've only just scraped the surface of the message of Christianity. I don't care how long you're praying for a day or what you're doing, if Mary's not in there, you're missing out on huge things. If you don't believe me, just look at the sisters. The whole thing's formed on loving Jesus through the heart of Mary. You think they're crazy? You think all this is just happens? Huh? You are the fruits of their living this. So, you know, the fact that you're here, I rest my case. You know? <laughs> oh, here's something cute, right? We told you before, imagine if Mary said no. No, Mary. No Jesus. But the good news is, no Mary, no Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that clever? <laughs> you guys are great. See, you laugh. You can't believe how many times I've put that up and people go. <laughs> and I stand there thinking, oh, gee, I, I think I better, get, I better get rid of that one. 
Okay. Where do we hear about Mary first in the Bible? People say, oh, Matthew or Luke. Actually, no. In Genesis. So how can we hear about Mary in Genesis when Mary wasn't even born? Well, there's some principles about Scripture. You'll be having some talks on Scripture, I'm sure. One of the key things is that when we read Scripture, the first thing we do is we analyse what's called the literal method. Now, the literal, not to be confused with, oh, Joe Blow takes the Bible literally, right? No, no, we're not talking about that. The literal as in, what do the words say? What did the author try to communicate? That's where we start, okay? But the church teaches also, underneath these, we have spiritual layers, right? And these are very rich, and these are the ones everybody wants to get into because they're all, they're all exciting and that, right? But we start with the literal, then we go into the spiritual layers. And the spiritual layers, we see particularly... When we're in the Old Testament, we read something, and then in light of the New Testament, we go, wow, that's really significant. But in the Old Testament, we read it, you know, they, the Jewish people would have read it and gone, well, yeah, I'm not quite sure what that means. That's why we never, you know, if we don't understand Scripture, we need to sit prayerfully with it because, and even in time, over the 2,000 years, we're understanding scripture more and more, and I'm sure that process will continue. So when we go to Genesis, we read this. What's happened here? Adam and Eve have just sinned, right? And they're um, in big trouble. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, so he's God speaking to Satan in the form of the serpent, because you have done this, I will put Enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. Let's open this up. This is really important. The church fathers said that this, called this statement the Proto-Evangelium, the first statement of the gospel. I heard one person describe it. It's like the genetic code of the whole of the Bible. It's beautiful. I, God, will put enmity, it's like a war, between you, Satan, and the woman. Huh? Who is the woman? We're not quite sure, but we read on. Between your offspring, ooh, that's a bit scary. Satan has offspring? We'll come back to that. And hers, ah, so the woman had offspring. And he will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. So what does it mean? If you get hit in the heel, you go down, take to the hospital, and three days later, you're out again. You got the analogy? See what's going on? You get it in the head, take it to the morgue, right? You're finished. The battle has already been declared. Satan is not in the wooden circle. He's going to the morgue. The question is, are you going, which side are you going with? The morgue or you're going with Mary? So if the offspring of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent, then that, ah, that can only be Jesus. So here it is. It's a war between Jesus and Mary. Together they will crush the head of the serpent. That's why you see on the many statues of Mary a serpent under her feet. 
Because she's going to do this. And it's going to crush Satan. This is huge. Another thing to just reflect on and understand. Okay, let's now go to the very last book of the Bible, Revelations. Now we see the dragon, which is the serpent, has become so powerful, he's a dragon. By golly, that's got to be in our era, right? He's become a dragon, he's become angry with the woman and went to rage war against the rest of her offspring. Oh, the rest. Does that mean Mary had brothers and sisters? No, it doesn't. What does it mean? Well, the very next line tells us. The offspring of Mary are those who keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus. Hands up all those who want to keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus. Well, congratulations. According to Scripture, you're all children of Mary. (laughs) Okay, now this one. We've heard this many, many times, right? This is from Luke's Gospel. And he, we're talking about the angel Gabriel here, came to her, Mary, and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no husband? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Another one of those take-it-in moments. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary says, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Okay, let's have a look at this. Notice this part that's underlined here. The angel comes to her and says, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Does that sound familiar? It doesn't sound familiar to anybody? Oh, it does. Okay. Where? Come on. From the rosary. From what part of the rosary? The Hail Mary prayer. It's not rocket science, this. Okay, don't worry. I don't ask trick questions. Uh, uh. But what's missing? What's missing? Ah, Mary's name missing. Huh? It's implied. If I was a um, Hebrew scholar, which I am certainly not in the slightest stretch of the imagination, the Hebrew scholars tell us that if you look at this, and you um, and the Greek, sorry, this is in Greek. In the, if you look at this in Greek, it it would translate something like this: "Hail, you who have been and still are full of grace." But the way it's addressed, it would be like. Um, I work in audio video, right? It'd be like the angel coming to me and saying, Hail, you who work in audio video. Huh? I mean, you don't normally say it. You say, Hail, 
their name. But the angel is not using her name. Deliberately, the angel is addressing Mary as full of grace. You who have been and still are full of grace. And unfortunately, it just gets lost in English. But that is incredible, right? Now, you hear this said often. Mary was afraid when she saw the angel. Although somebody, somebody in our group was saying that and said, no, Mary wasn't afraid. Who was that this morning? That was beautiful. I went, amen. (laughs) Mary wasn't afraid because she saw an angel. Mystics tell us she saw angels all the time. Nothing big deal. Mary was afraid. Why? It's not rocket science. Just read the text. She was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. She's so humble that when an angel comes to her and says, Hail, you who have been and still are full of grace, it's like, hang on, is this, yeah, is this a demonic thing trying to puff me up with pride? No, it's, it's, very, it's very prudent. If you ever have an angel come to you and do that, be careful. <laughs> don't worry, I don't, think, I don't think we have any worries about that. Angels telling us we're full of grace. You know for sure it's from Satan. <clears throat> but So getting back to the point, right? You who have been full of grace. So Mary was very humble. But see the significance of this text. It's, it just gets lost in English, unfortunately. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. We talked about this. And Mary's, let it be done to me. Gosh, as I get older and older on this journey of the spiritual faith, that is just everything. Mary's, yes. Her fiat, they call it. But it's really important, this Mary's yes. And that's why we want to unite with her and we consecrate ourselves to her because she can say yes on our behalf. And when our yes is like, oh, yes, you know, she comes in and gives us the grace to really mean it and to live, to live the yes. Okay, we go on to Luke, visiting where uh, Mary goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth. When Elizabeth's heard Mary's greeting, The infant leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant leapt in my womb. As Tim Staples says so beautifully in one of his talks, when Mary speaks, everything changes. Mary greets Elizabeth. Babies start leaping in the womb. Elizabeth's filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to prophesy. All because Mary greets her and says hello. The power of Mary's words. Okay, look at this. Elizabeth, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. She cries out in a loud voice. In other words, the Holy Spirit is saying this. Most blessed are you among women. We could paraphrase that. Praise be Mary. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. We could paraphrase that. Praise be Jesus. So according to Scripture, which is infallible, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you should be able to say, praise be Mary and praise be Jesus. If you can only say, praise be Jesus, then I think in all honesty, according to Scripture, 
you'd have to question whether it's the Holy Spirit or some other spirit. And what is even more amazing about this text, in Scripture, the order of things is important, right? Every list of the apostles you read in Scripture, Peter's first, Judas last. The order of things is important. Look at this. The order of things is Mary first and Jesus second. Now, this is Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit. So what's going on here? Well, the Holy Spirit's trying to make a point that it's important to honour Mary and to get the point across. It wasn't just a little tag on the end because she happened to be there. He puts her first. And that should, again, resonate with us. How does this happen that the mother of my Lord, in the way the word Lord is used here, it means God. It does not mean Lord like landlord. It's Lord God. Huh? I used to have, a, a, in my parish, we'd stay after Mass and say the rosary, and there was one man who'd say the rosary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Oh, can you imagine? You're all saying, you've got one person saying, Mother of Jesus. If I say, what is your problem? You know? his, his problem was that in his sincerity of his misguided heart, he couldn't say, Mother of God. And I used to have an uncle who used to do the same thing. He'd say, Mary can't be the mother of God. She can't be the mother of all the divinity. I say, we're not saying Mary's the mother of all divinity. We're not changing the meaning of the words. God. What is the meaning of God? The ultimate source of everything. So God can't come from a mother, otherwise that's not God. Right? Mother. What do mothers do? They give birth to living children. So mother of God is pointing us to a new reality. And you know how the church fathers came up with this, that Mary is the mother of God, one of the very first um, dogmas? How did they come up with this? They were wrestling with the question, well, is Jesus divine? Is he man? Is he kind of man that's divinity is kind of taken on a body sort of thing? They're trying to work all this out, and it's very important to get it right. Because the implications, you'd be surprised how you can just, the wrong foundation, you can just head off into heresy. You can reason out the most ridiculous things. And you know how the church fathers basically solved the problem? They asked the question, who was it that Mary gave birth to? A human being and God. So Mary is the mother of God, is pointing to who Jesus is. And that's what Mary does over and over again, explains who Jesus is. So that don't ever get hung up on the mother of God in the Hail Mary. We're not trying to rewrite the words of the English language. We're pointing to a new reality that Jesus is fully man and fully divine. Okay, wedding feast of Cana. This is a lovely part of scripture, isn't it? I love this part. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, how does your concern affect me? 
my hour has not yet come. And the story goes on and on and on. But the bottom line is, she turns around and says to the servers, do whatever he tells you. Now this is just, if you get it, stop and think about this. There's some wonderful dynamic going on here, right? First of all, they ran short of wine. They didn't have any wine. They ran short of wine. And scripture tells us this was the first miracle Jesus did, the public, first public miracle. So if you and I were writing the script, we'd say, look, Lord, we're managing things here. When you do your first miracle, it's got to be big, you know? Raise someone from the dead, feed the 10,000, you know, even maybe give a blind man sight, something that'll get people really talking. Just ran out or run short of wine. Why? Because well, they're going to get embarrassed. So you're trying to tell me that Jesus launched his whole public ministry because some people were going to get embarrassed? You know, it seems kind of a bit petty. Why is this important? This is important because you and I can say, oh, you know, there's war going on, there's all sorts of crisis in the world and, and I'm worried about my job application or I'm worried about passing my uni exam and somehow I don't think Mary's all that interested. Mary is interested. Mary is interested. She wants to intercede for you no matter how small you think your intention is. Why? Because you're passing this thing, the whole world peace depends on it? No. <laughs> because she wants to build a relationship with you. She wants to love you. She wants to prove to you that she is your mother. And she wants this. And so that's how we need, when we pray, yeah, we want to ask for things, but that's not it really. It's about building relationship. You know, with your normal friends, when you do things for each other, you build relationship. And this is lovely, right? Jesus turns to Mary and says, Woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. And some people say, oh, look at the way Jesus rebuked his mother. Oh, put her in the place. Woman. You know, and, say, oh, you just, and you just shake your head and go, I'm sorry, you don't understand. Genesis 3.15, woman. This is Mary's royal title, if you like. I heard it expressed like that. Royal title. The woman who will crush the head of Satan. So whenever you see Jesus refer to her as woman, and he does refer to other women as woman in Scripture as well, but with Mary, it's the special woman, and it links us back to Genesis 3.15. And we'll, see, we'll open this up a little bit more when we look at the foot of the cross scene. So, you know, you can, you can kind of imagine what's going on here. You know, the, I think I'm, I'm not on dangerous ground to say that, you know, they probably talked about this. You know, let, let's paraphrase the conversation, the gaps in between. They've got no wine, Jesus. Oh, Mary, we've, we've talked about this. Mother, we've talked about this many times. This wasn't the way I was going to start my public ministry. And she looks at him, you know, and gives him a wink, says, do it for your mother. That's what my mother does for me. She says, oh, do it for your mother. So then, then, you can, then if you want to get really theological, you can say, oh, did, Jesus, did Mary talk Jesus into something he didn't want to do? Well, no, he didn't. <laughs> So what's going on here? Well, without getting too deep in it all, I think we can just say that this is what God the Father wants. And he's trying to teach us something through the conversation of Jesus and Mary, through these events, teaching us to come 
Use Mary as a powerful intercession. And even on things that we don't think are big in the scheme of things, Mary will do it for us because she loves us and her son loves us. But look at that last line. Beautiful. She still gives him ultimate say. She doesn't override him. She doesn't pull rank. Hey, I'm your mother, you know. <laughs> she, he's divine, right? So she, she says to the servers, she says to the servers, do whatever he tells you. Beautiful. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's a very beautiful way to express it. All right. Let's go to the foot of the cross. Standing at the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, St. John, he said to his mother, Mother, no. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. So this really locks in concrete this royal title of woman that links back to Genesis 3.15 because the battle has never been more fierce than at the foot of the cross between Satan and Jesus and Mary. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home, his heart. Now, some people try and trivialize this and say, oh, well, you know, Jesus is just concerned who's going to look after his mom. And Jesus doesn't, nowhere in Scripture do we have trivia. We never have any words of Jesus trivia. It's always loaded with meaning. And when he's hanging on the cross and he only says seven things, there is never a more sacred and solemn moment than when Jesus is on the cross. He's not worried about who's going to help Mary cut the firewood. He's concerned about his purpose, his mission, to save all of us. Jesus saw his mother and said to the disciple there, he said to his mother, wouldn't you think the word mother would be there? It's there, there, and there. Why is it there? Deliberately because it links us back to Genesis 3.15. Woman, that beautiful royal title. And from that hour, he took her into his home. And we, John represents us at the cross. All the others ran away. Even Peter, they, weren't, they were too afraid to be at the cross. How often are we too afraid to be at the cross? Mary's not afraid because she has trust and she has love. She just loves so much and she knows that the love will crush evil. She knows the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 will be carried out at the foot of the cross and will be carried out today. Even though we live in a world that is just... You can look around the world and... Whoa, we'll talk more about that tomorrow when we talk about mercy. But victory. We know who's going to win. If I said to you, I, I know I've got a lottery ticket. I know who's going to win. I've got the winning ticket. Do you want it? <laughs> Of course you'd want it. We know who's going to win. Why do we live lives like as though we don't know? We, live, we take foolish risks. We put our souls in jeopardy. And we're not, called, we're not called to be Superman. We're just called to love. We're just called to let Jesus do it all. We just got to say yes. Die to our own will. Let the divine will reign in our life.
I just want to quickly end with some um, motherhood. What does it mean? Mother and child is like no other relationship. You think about it. Husband and wife, brother and sister, there's something about mother and child. Why? Because from a single cell, we grew inside our mother's womb. God doesn't just do all this. It just doesn't happen to be coincidence. God creates all of creation with this in mind. The physical world says, tells us mysteries about the spiritual world. It tells us something about the supernatural realities. Mary wants us to be spiritually formed in her just as Jesus was physically. Another one of those. Whoa. Write that one in. Meditate on that one the next few days. If it's good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for us. There's nobody who loves you like your mother. You heard that line? He's got a face that only your mother can love, right? <laughs> it says a lot about what motherhood is, you know? But the good news, don't be too concerned if you've never experienced this from your earthly mother. Because the good news is that you can, in fact, experience all of this and much more from your heavenly mother, who is perfect and who loves you even more than you can imagine. Mary said to a visionary once, if you knew how much I loved you, you would cry with joy. Oh, bless your way. And, you know, after all, no mother's perfect. Even the best of mothers is not perfect. So Mary can be our heavenly mother, can bring healing, can bring consolation, can heal our wounds, can wipe away our tears. She'll cry with your tears. and She'll mix her joy with your joy. And she'll bring you to the heart of her son, source of all life and the source of all love. Jesus gave us his mother because he knew that we would need this maternal love. This was his solution from the cross. Didn't give long discourses or new theories. It was a very simple, take my mother. Oh. Once you discover this love of Mary, once it has penetrated into your heart, this reality, everything changes. Graces will pour into your heart that you didn't even know were existing. The tenderness of a mother's heart. It's just beautiful, isn't it? Just beautiful. So, what, where do we go from here? How do we practically get from here? We've got a lot of stuff up here now. How do we go from here to here? The answer is... You want to pray, hey, <laughs> pray, 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 pray until your prayer becomes a joy for you. I don't like praying. I don't. Prayer's not very joyful. Ah, with solution, keep praying until it is. It's not. It's not rocket science. If I want to be a great athlete, I can't run two miles. I can't run ten kilometers. Well, start walking first. And keep going and keep going. And every athlete will tell you, you get to a point, you really start to enjoy it. And it becomes a joy. It's the same with prayer. It's very simple. Just keep praying. You need the discipline to do it. 
You need to put aside time. And if you think 10 minutes a day is going to be fine, sorry. If you've never prayed before, 10 minutes is great. But most of you now are starting to get some idea of prayer and the power of prayer and adoration. Keep going, keep going. And don't even think about stopping until when? Until when? You want me to tell you when? You won't? Don't have a heart attack. You've got to start where you are. You can't do the marathon if you're just starting tomorrow. So don't be put off. But if you're a little bit cocky, you think, I've been praying for years. Don't even think about stopping until you get to three hours a day. Three hours a day. Because only at three hours a day will you be then be able to pray constantly. What does that mean? I don't work? I just sit in the church all day? No. It means that you're so full of the love of God because you've prayed, you've Put yourself in the presence of Jesus and Mary so much that you just walk outside and you see him. Every, I love, love my brother Jesus here. I see the wounds of Jesus in this person. I, you just see it everywhere because you've immersed yourself in that love. So we might end with a prayer. Eh? Don't forget the notes here if anyone wants it. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the great gift of your mother. We ask for forgiveness for the times that we have not appreciated all the gifts you give us, Lord. The gift of yourself in the Eucharist, times we've just taken that for granted, and the gift of your mother not realized. How many graces are waiting there for us? How it must hurt your heart when we just walk straight over these graces. And you call us to stop and reflect and to respond. And so we acknowledge our failures, but we throw ourselves in your mercy, Lord. The beautiful mercy you have. And we're filled with the expansion of our heart and joy as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary. Pray for her. Pope has a beautiful devotion to Mary, untire of the knots. All the knots in our lives, Mary can come and undo them. It's beautiful. Mary, untire of knots. Pray for her. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was Paul Ellard with Why Mary Matters. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org. Dot A you.